0: Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all the evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Those are the first eight verses of Psalm 5, which along with, verse, with Psalm 6 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, January the 11th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being with me. We're continuing in the Messianic Prophecy of Isaiah today, um, including uh, chapter 40, verses 25 to 31. We're in the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And then in the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 28. So remember yesterday, what we got was sort of um, Isaiah's recounting of two things, primarily the omniscience of God, that he knows all things, and the omnipotence of God, he can do as he wills. Whatever he wills, he is capable of doing. He has the power to do that. So those are two things that were meant to encourage and comfort his people, the ones who are in covenant with him, because that covenant is an everlasting covenant. And so they know that they can depend on him. What he needs to know is can he depend on them it's the same truth today it's the same for for the church today for Christians today Uh, can God depend on you to be who you say you're going to be to bear his image well to the world and to share the gospel well with the world so in this passage today what we get is to whom then will you compare me so it's God speaking that I should be like him says the holy one so who is there who would you compare god to that god could be like that thing lift up your eyes on high and see who created these he who brings out their host by number calling them all by name by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power not one is missing in other words what he's saying is is that that just look up look up, which is exactly the message of Ecclesiastes, because Ecclesiastes tells us what's wrong under the sun, and that there's nothing under the sun that should capture your attention and the the hopes and dreams of your life at all, because all those things end with your death. And so there's no point in setting your eyes on those things, and, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't find them attractive. What it means is, is don't set your heart on them. Don't set your hopes on them. Don't let those things be the things that control your life. Don't work for those. No, work for something else. And what he says is, is, those are the things above the sun. And so here, God says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. So everything else you might worship, everything else you might think really, really attractive and um, uh, sort of the highest good doesn't qualify. It can't because it's not eternal. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Quote, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right hand is disregarded by my God. I mean, David's Psalms, particularly Psalm 139, for instance, say, you know, where can I go to escape you? And the answer is obviously, well, nowhere. And that's exactly what God's saying. Why do you say these things? Why do you think this way? Why do my people think this way? my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. And the question it could be easily put to us because I'm sure you probably had times in your life. I've certainly had times in my life when I've thought God doesn't see me or care because it seems like everything's going in the wrong direction. Nothing is good and it, nothing is just or right. So why would that be? God has turned his eyes away. Does he, does he not pay any attention? Have you not known? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth and everything in between. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. So in other words, no, I'm here. I see you. I know things you don't know. And therefore, I will be there when you need me and I will and to, there to give you the things that you need. In other words, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength. Which is not to say that that he changes their situations so that they're no longer fainting nor lacking strength. No, he provides what you need to get through the situation. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. It's the way that it is. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And what we typically want God to do is change our situation and our circumstances so that we don't need to have strength or endurance. No, he gives us what we need. We're waiting for him to give us the strength we need to run the race. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the world's fallen. We live in a sinful world, and we contribute to the sin in that world every single day of our lives. But we live in a world that we, that, that's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and so what we need— is not for the world to change, it, it's for us to change, to be the change. And then other people can see what God can do through fallible and, and weak people like us and changing us into the kind of people who are fit for the world we live in. Not the world we'd prefer to live in, but the world we actually live in. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have in the church, and, and it's one of the, the lies of the false gospel that gets preached in a lot of places and that is is that that the world um that everything will, will fall into place if you follow Jesus. No, what he'll do is he'll give you what you need to make it in the world you actually live in. We've got to be realistic about the world and then say, what kind of people do we need to be and what are the gifts we actually need to live in the world in which we find ourselves? Not for the world to come. That's the reason we pray for the kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. No, we need actual gifts to live and survive and thrive in the world that we actually live in. In the uh, gospel lesson today, we get now, after John was arrested, obviously not the world we, we want to live in, John got arrested and imprisoned and ultimately beheaded. So you need something to live in that world. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, what is it? I mean, yet they don't know. What is the gospel, though? The gospel, the, that word just means good news. So what is the gospel at the time Jesus speaks this? And what he says in this synagogue is he reads that thing from, the, uh, from Isaiah's prophecy, from Isaiah 62, and he talks about people being healed, and he talks about captives being released and prisoners being set free, but, but the blind are healed, the, the, the lame walk, the, all those things, and, and that's the gospel, is that the kingdom of God is at hand, and the kingdom of God is at hand in the person of Jesus. So repent and believe in the gospel is believe what I'm saying and what I'm doing, and believe that it points in the direction of the Messiah has come. And then passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So remember what I told you yesterday about Mark's gospel and then pay attention over the next little bit about how often you see the word immediately or some synonym of that. So Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I would say they believed. I would say they believed the gospel. He called them, and as soon as he did, they left their nets. They left everything else behind, their career, their business, their father, and They left it all behind because they saw something more valuable in Jesus. And so they they recognized that what he was offering them was far more valuable than their business. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who was in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So they had a thriving business, enough so that they had hired servants as well as the brothers and their father working in the business. So so this was a lucrative kind of proposition that these guys had, and they just walked away from it. And we see the same thing with Matthew, who leaves whenever he's called as well. So they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching because he had become somebody that people knew. And so they would have invited him to speak as a visiting um, teacher. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So the way a scribe would teach and the way that, that they still, the rabbis still do, is by referring to the one who has come before them. So they might riff off that other person's teaching, and when I say riff off of it, they might disagree with them, but they start, the starting place is sure. Rabbi so-and-so said this, and then now I can go on and teach from that place, because we know the basis for which I say this, and it's grounded in somebody who has come before and who is an accepted scholar. And so Jesus comes, and he doesn't do that. He doesn't refer to other rabbis when he teaches. He teaches directly from the Word. And immediately, there was in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. So apparently as soon as Jesus teaches, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, he being the man, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? So Jesus of Nazareth is, is placing him in space and time the way you would with any other human being. But then I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's a big leap from Jesus of Nazareth coming to destroy the unclean demonic spirit. Have you come to destroy us? And I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. So who's being rebuked? It's not the man. It's the spirit that's being rebuked because the spirit is saying these things. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. So Jesus is showing that authority here that exists not just with respect to the Word of God, but also with respect to unclean spirits. There's a power and an authority in him that's different. So he didn't want that demon to bear witness to him because that could be a lying spirit. What he wanted and what he did was authenticate himself by the power that he showed over this thing. So the unclean spirit came out And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. A new teaching means he's not riffing on previous rabbinic teaching. With authority is he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So we see the spirits obeying him here, and then later the disciples see something even more remarkable than that, right? When he tells the wind and the waves to stop. Who is it that commands those? And so they're getting an idea. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So the question then has to, has to come up, well, where does the power come from? Where does the authority over those unclean spirits come from? And that's when the Pharisees decide, no, 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 he, he's, he does it by the power of Beelzebub. Well, that's a really—Jesus proves logically that makes no sense, that, that you don't throw, that, that's, you don't cast out Beelzebub by the power of Beelzebub. No, it's got to be a different power and a greater power <clears throat> at once— His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So up in that northern area, now the buzz has begun to talk about, "Uh uh-oh, hey, y'all should see this guy. You will not believe what he has to say and the power that he has. And then the Spirit immediately, (laughs) I guess as soon as his fame began to spread, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to them. Well, there's only 40 of. Uh, there's only three people who we're told in the Bible do 40 day fasts. And that's Moses, who did it twice. The first time when he went up on the mountain to receive the commandments, and the second time after he smashed the tablets of the law to go back up and get them done again. So he fasted two times for 40 days. Elijah fasted 40 days when he was. In the wilderness remember when he goes out he runs from jezebel and he leaves the land and he goes out into the wilderness and so he fasts for 40 days in the anticipation of a a meeting with god and so here what we get is jesus in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and it says he was with the wild animals And the angels were ministering to him. Well, when Elijah was in the wilderness, the ravens ministered to him. And then when Moses was on the mountain, the the belief is is that all of the giving of the law was attended by angels. And so there's a comparison there that you could draw between Elijah and Moses and Jesus, not just the 40 days fasting, but it all kind of gets wrapped into one in that little description there about being with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And so he's, he's alone, but not really. There are angels ministering to him, and the wild animals are there. In the same way that we would see these parallels with um, Moses and Elijah. In the epistle today, what we have is for this reason. uh, Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, because you're doing the two commandments that we were given, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, And so he says, because you're doing those things, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, I want you to know so much about God. It's unbelievable. I I want you to know more and more, but there's only one way, he says, you can get that knowledge. That's through the spirit. And And is that the knowledge... That we truly seek how much of our day do we spend seeking to know God that would tell us a lot about our priorities and a lot about our faith and a lot about our Christianity it it matters and and it should be the thing we pursue with all our heart because it's the, the only knowledge ultimately worth having he says having your heart eyes of your hearts enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So those are the things Paul wants you to know. I I want you to know the hope to which you're called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. So what are the immeasurable greatness of his power? Well, Jesus shows it in his ministry. He shows it through the healings, through the raising of Lazarus from the dead, through the, the dealings that he has with unclean spirits. We see the power that he has that, that is available to us and for us in our lives. Again, he can give us the gifts that we need for this life. And those are the things that we should actually seek. We should seek these things from a realistic perspective on the world that we live in and say, what do I need to live in this world? Not to live in the next world, but this world. And give me those gifts. Give me all the things that I need to do well in this life. And what doing well in this life should mean, ultimately, is glorifying you. So, he says that it's this power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. And in his great might, he's going to now define for us what that means. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. He said that same power, that great might that raised Jesus from the dead and raised him to his right hand on high is the power at work in you. If you are in Christ, then that power is raising you from the dead. It's changing you in that way. He says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. In other words, there's nothing that even comes close to him. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul points to the Trinity here. He points to the Father and, that he, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the power of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ given to us, working in us, for us, and through us, is the Holy Spirit that's given to us. And he says, so so if you can see with the spiritual eyes of your heart, that he all things are under his feet, nothing is greater than him, and he is far above all other power and authority, and you know that he is for you, and that you are his child through belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's nothing for you to fear. There's only things for you to hope, and that's the way and the power with which we get through this life is the power of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us knowing that there's a better day coming.